a Newton for the 19th century. He unlocked the secret behind all life on earth. One of the luckiest men in history, he was also one of the most brilliant. How did this Englishman demonstrate the truth of one of the oldest ideas in history? And how did the evolution of his discovery in turn impact the major forces of history that we have already seen? Liberalism and nationalism, as well as give rise to imperialism, Marxism, and a new understanding of psychology and philosophy. In this podcast, we will look at the author of the most influential book of the 19th century, Charles Darwin, and the theory of evolution of the species by natural selection. To begin with, Charles Darwin was a very lucky man. On February 12, 1809, the same day that Abraham Lincoln was born in a rude log cabin in Kentucky, Charles Darwin was born in high society London. Unlike Lincoln, who described the life history of his family as the short and simple annals of the poor, Darwin was born to a family of wealthy celebrities with several geniuses in his immediate family tree, including both of his grandfathers and his father. Because of his family's wealth and inheritance, he never had to teach, work for a living, or cater to the opinions of senior professors to support himself and his family. He could devote all his hours to his chief love, conducting research on a variety of small life forms, especially birds, insects, and barnacles. But we're getting a bit ahead of the story. Darwin's grandfather, Erasmus Darwin, was one of the great scientists of the 18th century, a genius who was one of the most famous voices for the idea that all life forms have evolved from simpler predecessors through an evolutionary process since the beginning of time. This was not a new idea. Even before Socrates, 500 years before the Christian era, some had argued in favor of evolution. Erasmus was not quite as famous as two French evolutionists who also lived at the end of the 18th century, Comte de Buffon and Jean-Baptiste de Lamarck. But he, like they, were impressed with the sheer number of species in the world tens of thousands of them, and all three men argued that there were just too many species for them to be separate creations as the Christian view had held. Erasmus Darwin was like Copernicus, who challenged the Christian view that the earth was the center of the solar system. He was also like Copernicus in being unable to discover the mechanism by how species might evolve into new species. And so, most Englishmen continued to believe in the idea of separate creations over seven days, as stated in Genesis. In 1804, for example, a minister named William Paley wrote a book that explained why all species had to be designed separately by God. He pointed out that if we discovered a watch in the forest we would conclude from its mechanisms that work together so well for a preconceived purpose, namely to reveal the time, that that watch had to have been designed by somebody for a purpose. 
It was not some random natural object that had just happened to appear out of nowhere. Paley pointed out that everything in our experience that looks as if it were designed actually is designed, including the watch. Paley thought that since all life in nature appears to have been designed, it must have been designed, and therefore it must have a designer. To observe the speed of a cougar, the ability of a walking stick insect to blend into its background, and the parts of a bird that enable flight, was to see something that had to be designed for a purpose, and that designer had to be God. Darwin read Paley's book. He liked the way Paley organized his argument, but being a scientist, Darwin did not agree with his conclusion. The claim had not been proven. It would take research and experimentation to prove or disprove evolution. William Paley had done neither. Darwin's maternal grandfather was another genius, Josiah Wedgwood, the Jeff Bezos of his era. Wedgwood built a business that was the wonder of the English world. Every part of the business was designed to make a profit. One of Wedgwood's daughters became Darwin's mother. Wedgwood's genes would contribute to the Darwin family's ability to be good investors and makers of money. In fact, all of Darwin's ancestors passed down to him a genetic inheritance that would make him a genius like them. It was ironic because Darwin all his life knew nothing about genes or genetics, that branch of science not being widely known until after his death. But the science of genetics would provide the final piece of the puzzle to complete Darwin's theory. As I said, though, Darwin was a lucky man. It was not necessary to learn about genetics to demonstrate the workings or the existence of natural selection, only to lay any remaining doubt to rest. Therefore, he could become much celebrated and applauded as the man who demonstrated the origin of the species, even without genetics. Darwin's theory would do most of the heavy lifting of confirming evolution, but it would also have some dark and deadly consequences that Darwin was not entirely innocent of spawning. Had Darwin known about genetics, he might not have added the unnecessary descriptions that would make them time bombs with some awful side effects in the future. Darwin's father, Robert, another genius, was concerned that his son's hobby of collecting bugs would not suit him for a good future. He sent him to Cambridge, first to study law, and then, ironically, to study for the clergy of the Church of England. But these subjects would not take Darwin, the bug collector, decided to follow in his paternal grandfather's footsteps and, like Erasmus, go for a career in biology. There were two other important ways in which Darwin was lucky. One was in his ability to win friends and influence people, and the other, as we will see, was in his choice of a bride. Darwin was a hypochondriac always convinced he was at death's door from some stomach problem or another. 
and he preferred solitary research to socializing. But he could pretend to be a social butterfly, and the world was convinced that he was a people person, and a most agreeable one at that. He drew people, important people, to him like moths to a flame, and they could help him get opportunities that would serve a young scientist well. One of these opportunities came in 1834 when the 20-something-year-old Darwin was given the opportunity to accompany the captain of the HMS Beagle on an around-the-world five-year trip. The captain could use the companionship of a Cambridge man on the long voyage, and Darwin could conduct biological research on the species he found at dozens of points all over the world along the way. The voyage of the Beagle would be decisive for Darwin's career. It would furnish him with the data that would prove evolution and confirm its mechanism which no one before had thought of, natural selection. It would also make him a celebrity scientist even before he published his findings, because the voyage proved that Darwin was a serious scientist who was on the hunt for the mechanism behind evolution. What the world did not know, and would not learn for another 20 years, was that because of the voyage, Darwin had actually found that mechanism. In the course of the voyage, Darwin visited the Galapagos Islands off the coast of Peru. There he found species that were slightly different, depending on the island in the chain where they nested. And he also discovered that finches on all the islands were even more different than the more distant finches on the mainland. Giant turtles, three feet long and longer, found nowhere else lumbered along within the Galapagos Islands. The principle of natural selection was demonstrated. Nature selects those individuals who survive a competition for scarce resources by providing such individuals small traits, making them more adaptable to their environment. These traits were not purposely provided, but because of scarce resources and a survival of the fittest, Natural selection operates just the same as if it were purposeful. That is, species become more complex and well-adapted to survive because of a non-random but non-designed process. We have no parallels to this in our everyday experience. If something is non-random, it is almost by definition designed. This is why natural selection is at first hard to believe. It does not accord with our everyday experience. But then again, it takes a long time to unfold. In this connection, Darwin was again lucky that a famous geologist, Charles Lyell, had just shown that the world was many hundreds of millions of years old, long enough for an evolution of species to have occurred. Darwin found that species adapt to their environment because they have to in order to survive. The individuals that survive just happen to have advantageous traits, a slightly longer tail, stronger legs, and so on, that allow them to beat their competition long enough to reproduce and pass these traits to their offspring. 
None of this is planned, but over a sufficiently long period of time, such minute changes can produce such profound changes in a species, always in the direction of what we would consider to be progressive change to more complexity and efficiency, so as to bring about wholly new species. Large turtles exist only on the Galapagos because there were no wolves there to eat them before they could become so large, as there were everywhere else. They were well adapted to their environment because they had no predators there. But everywhere else, large turtles would be toast in the face of predators from wolves to coyotes, and so we have no such large turtles elsewhere. When Darwin returned to England, he proceeded to do nothing for the next 20 years except accumulate more and more evidence for natural selection without publishing his discovery. There were two reasons for this. First, Darwin, always the worrywart, was afraid that he might be hit with violence by the church, the government, or some mob if he came out with his theory. But after 1839, he had a more personal worry. That year, he had married the love of his life, Emma, who was a devout Christian. Darwin worried that he would cause much distress for her once he published a theory so utterly incompatible with a literal reading of the Bible. So, he kept putting off the vital matter of publication. Emma gave Charles ten children and a lifetime of devoted love. She was proud of his talent and commitment to his work, but she always gently tried to convince him of the truth of the Christian God, sincerely believing that it would help him, while knowing that he would have none of it. Darwin saw how violent and red in tooth and claw nature was. He was convinced that natural selection worked as a result of such violence, and he could not believe that any god would subject his creations to such tortures. When his beloved daughter Annie died at the age of 10 in 1851, any possibility that Darwin would believe in a loving god of justice was ended forever. Darwin was finally jolted to publish his theory in 1858 when he learned that Alfred Wallace was about to publish an article on the same subject. Darwin was every bit as ambitious as he was fearful, and so he worked rapidly to finish the book that would seal his fame On the Origin of Species by Natural Selection, published in 1859. The book was well-written, mercifully free of scientific jargon, and it became a literary sensation in both England and the United States. Darwin had been mistaken in assuming that the churches and the government would condemn him. Almost everyone who was anyone, including Queen Victoria, found that they had no problem with reconciling science and religion and they simply, if conveniently, credited God with establishing the process of natural selection. It is ironic that so many people today question the theory's validity 
when it was thought at the time to be impossible to question it and still be considered an educated person. Two important points need to be made about Darwin's impact. First, science, most notably genetics, molecular biology, and geology, has repeatedly confirmed the truth of evolution and species production by natural selection. Second, Darwin made some serious mistakes precisely because of his ignorance of genetics. The worst of his mistakes was to assume that natural selection always operated through a horror scenario in which individuals of the same species or different species produced evolution through savage violence. He was too reliant on and attracted by the population theories of Thomas Malthus. Malthus, you remember, predicted war, famine, and the crash of populations as a result of his mistaken idea that population increases geometrically while food supply only increases arithmetically. If true, this suggested that nature both encourages reproduction and then kills off the new population by preventing food supplies from keeping pace with birth rates. But this is not true. The population has almost never increased as rapidly as Malthus predicted, nor has the food supply been limited to incremental growth. Darwin was foolish to apply this utterly false theory to natural selection, which did not need it to be confirmed. But by doing so, he reinforced the inaccurate horror scenario of a natural process that, by necessity, he thought, must be violent and destructive. Such mistakes by Darwin led people to go even farther than Darwin ever did and argue that human beings in society are divided between fit and unfit and that people who are poor, diseased, or just unsuccessful should be allowed to die out because of natural selection. Darwin neither believed this nor said this, but the public and the political class thought he said it, in part because they liked the sound of it. It helped lead nations to colonize countries considered unfit. It led Karl Marx to predict the rise of the proletarians through violence, and it led social Darwinists in the United States to deny aid to immigrants and the poor. The term social Darwinism is quite misleading and unfair to Darwin, since he did not believe it. Later, it led Hitler to speak of inferior races that made the world an inferior place. Genetics show that some individuals gain advantages over others entirely by accident, and not through a war for survival in an environment of scarce resources. Darwin's failure to understand this caused much damage later. The reality is that Darwin did not believe that humans in society operated according to a survival of the fittest, but rather that human beings and every life form were merely created through such a process, one that took hundreds of millions of years and did not happen every day. He believed correctly 
that once human society existed, humans could make that society as kind and humane as they wanted, if they wished, and Darwin hoped that they would. Darwin said little about human beings in his famous book, but he knew that humans were a result of evolution by natural selection, just as all life is. And he was right. He further knew that all life is organized according to a perfect family tree in which some creatures, polar bears and cats, are close cousins of man, while others, ants and plants, are much more distant cousins. Modern DNA sequencing confirms these relationships clearly in numerical terms. Cartoonists strongly said that Darwin had transformed man from a descendant of Adam, a kind of fallen angel, to a descendant of apes, a risen ape. But Darwin did not say, nor is it true, that man is descended from apes. Rather, apes and humans are descended from a common ancestor. To repeat, Humans are not, strictly speaking, descended from apes. Human beings are apes, one variation in that species that branched off from the four or five others in Africa some 200,000 years ago. Thus, although we are not descended from apes, we are all African apes with a brain that no other species or subset of a species can rival. And so Charles Darwin, this Newton of the 19th century, in shedding light on the long history of the world and the origins of all life, changed the history of his own time profoundly. If that influence was not always for the better, it gave a big boost to the notion of animal rights as well as of the power of science to answer questions as well as cure diseases and heal the sick. Scientists would never stop calling his discovery the theory of evolution by natural selection. But in science speak, a theory is a scientific finding that has stood the test of time. In ways both literal and figurative, this definition of theory is the one that aptly describes the momentous theory of evolution of Charles Darwin.